Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and I'd like to welcome you to episode 51 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast with myself and Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, where we take a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. Today, we really geek out and go into the weeds on the PCAOB, or the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. We take a look at what is the function of the PCAOB in terms of audit standards and internal controls for compliance, its role in compliance, how the PCAOB considers auditors' roles in goodwill and goodwill impairment, what is the role of auditors in write-downs, does there need to be a fresh look at internal controls around SOX 404, how much skepticism audit firms should have when they're performing their audits, the new audit committee report on auditing standards, which may come out uh, literally by the time this podcast comes out or shortly thereafter. It's a fascinating discussion about the role of the PCAOB, particularly in light of compliance and even FCPA compliance, as we tie it all together for you. The Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox again. Back for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and CEO of Radical Compliance. If you're a geek, if you're a compliance person, we are uh, going to give you a big treat today because we're going to take a look at the PCAOB in some detail. Matt has written a recent piece about it. I've studied this and written about it extensively, so we thought we would just uh, go into the weeds because not only is it fun to take a deep dive into some of these topics, but uh, both Matt and I think it has lots of implications for the compliance practitioners going forward. So Matt, uh, as you could tell, I am fired up for this podcast, and I thought we might jump right into it, and maybe uh, if you could explain what or who is a PCAOB and how does it relate to compliance from your perspective. Sure. Happy to do it. So the PCAOB is the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. This is the government agency that oversees external audit firms who perform the audits on a company's internal control over financial reporting and do the financial audits um, and work with uh, companies on other sort of consulting basis as well. Uh, The PCAOB has been around for 15 years or so. It was created by the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. And you can carve its life up into two big phases. Uh, Back in the 2000s, it was finding its legs as an agency, and it got into a lot of challenges. The business community did not necessarily like the PCAOB. And by 2011, there was a Supreme Court case that um, they, people were challenging the nature of the PCAOB, how board members were appointed, whether that was constitutional. And the board was somewhat defunct by then. It was down to, I think, uh, only two or three active members. There are five uh, when it is full complement. It was uh, struggling to find its place in the world. Bang. 2011 comes, the Supreme Court says the PCAOB is going to stand. There were some minor changes made to who could be appointed. Since then, 2011 to today is the second big phase of the PCAOB. It has been led by one chairman, Jim Doty, since 2011. Um, And the big news right now is that Earlier in August, I believe on August uh, 10th or 11th, Friday afternoon, 
the new chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission announced that he is going to begin overhauling the five board members of the PCAOB. PCAOB board members, where do they come from? The SEC chairman proposes nominees for the board, and a majority of the Securities and Exchange Commission members then vote on whether these PCAOB members will be there. So we're going to go through this a lot in the next five or six months as we replace as many as four out of five board members. And who these people are, the policies that they dictate upon the audit firms, then leads to pressure audit firms will apply to a company as they are auditing your internal control over financial reporting, the effectiveness of perhaps uh, your ability to track bribery payments or not, uh, cybersecurity, other corporate governance failures, all sorts of stuff. That which the audit firm does to you and you wonder why are they giving me such a hard time. They are giving you a hard time based upon how much of a hard time the PCAOB gives them as the industry regulator. So that's where we are right now with this agency. So Matt, you really actually packed quite a bit in there. And let me see if I can uh, maybe unpack some of these uh, topics. Um, the r- regulatory and rulemaking part of the SEC, it strikes me that Jay Clayton can influence uh, quite a bit within the corporate world, certainly the public um, company world, by uh, mechanisms such as changing the focus of the PCAOB. This would not require congressional Mm -hmm. oversight. This would not require a new law. This would not require intervention by the executive branch uh, in the form of uh, the president or his staff. This um, could simply be done quietly. Um, People uh, like us, geeks, and uh, those who want to go into the weeds might be paying attention. But this could, seems to me, it could uh, in, impact a very large change in a wide variety of public reporting mechanisms simply by a change of personnel or even a change of focus in the PCAOB. It, that's exactly right. Um, if we think about what are one of the big deregulatory issues we talk about in corporate compliance these days, uh, all the ideas that we might allow more companies to be exempt from Section 404B of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. Uh, That is the part of the law that you must have an annual audit of your internal control over financial reporting. The smallest publicly traded companies are exempt from this, and you will hear various voices in the Chamber of Commerce or in the Republican Party, especially in the House of Representatives. They'll say, why only the smallest non-accelerated filers? Let's make this uh, exemption apply to many, many more public companies. And the House has voted to allow that exemption for many, many more public companies. And is this going to happen? Is it not? What are we going to do here? You know, What if the House goes back to the Democrats in 2019? All this stuff on the legislative side, we could put all of that away. And as you correctly say, Jay Clayton could essentially stack the PCAOB board with new members who would alleviate the burdens of compliance with 404B. Uh, Auditors would have to be less demanding, and therefore that brings the same sort of audit compliance relief from an administrative point, rather than go through all of the legislative rigmarole to do this permanently. Now, 
you know, in theory, some future Democratic SEC chairman could change it all back again. Who knows? But there are different ways to get to this deregulatory goal, especially around SOX 404B. And this is one of the big ways. And Jay Clayton has the power. He could do that if he wanted to. You have written on really this topic, uh, I think, extensively. You certainly thought about it extensively. We visited on it somewhat. And I guess I am not as concerned, perhaps as I sense you are, on a rollback of Sarbanes-Oxley from Jay Clayton, uh, particularly through this mechanism, Matt, because I see this as a very technical standard and that – if auditors are pulled back or not as rigorous in their audits, that's not going to protect either them or companies uh, from shareholder suits or other mechanisms which might force uh, more rigor. That is true, and uh, that is true unto itself. I think we always need to remember there are going to be larger deregulatory efforts on multiple fronts by the SEC and the Trump administration and Congress that taken together could cause some investor advocates a lot of alarm. Uh, One of the other Republican commissioners on the SEC, Michael Piwawar, he's proposed allowing some companies to change their corporate charters so that essentially shareholders first have to go through binding arbitration before they're allowed to pursue remedies in court through shareholder litigation. Now, that's a big idea. That's pretty far. Is it going to happen? Probably not. But if it did, and shareholders have to go through these arbitration mechanisms rather than court relief, and you've got these other sort of deregulatory moves on Section 404B, you start to piece together stuff that at least some corporate governance and investor advocates, they're not going to be comfortable with that at all. So one of the things that um, has intrigued me about the work of the PCAOB and auditors in my study of this is something that you've written about, which is goodwill, goodwill impairment, and the potential, um, I don't want to say fraud in that area, but certainly um, flexibility might be a better word. And mm-hmm. I'm concerned, or rather, I see the the uh, potential for manipulation in goodwill, and if I could tie that to the FCPA, it would be through um, purchase of a company or acquisitions or other acquisitions or other um, analysis by auditors, which might create some value, which could then be used to to fund a bribe. Uh, but I was wondering, kind of, what are your thoughts around goodwill and goodwill impairment as it uh, ties into the auditors and auditing standards that the PCAOB sets? Well, uh, you know, I, I always tend to be cynical about goodwill. And, um, you know, not long ago, in fact, Tiva Pharmaceuticals had to write off $6.1 billion in goodwill for its U.S. generics business. That's a lot. That is the biggest goodwill impairment we've seen in multiple years. I think since Yahoo had to write down $4.1 billion in 2013 or 14, and I mean, Yahoo's been a basket case in multiple ways around corporate governance and effective operations. Um, I think that, you know, writing down goodwill is always going to be a red flag about does management really know what it's doing? Has management known what it's been doing for a while? Has management been trying to blow up a leaky balloon? And, you know, it, it signifies to me that, 
you know, you're finally throwing in the towel when you write down a, a goodwill and declare an impairment. But I think most of the time, employees within that organization have already known the balloon is deflating. This isn't going well. The, you know, and it's once you have problems that are heading in that direction, I've basically seen that you're going to have other problems. And Tiva is a good example that Tiva did have a big FCPA issue that it settled about a year ago, I think. Yahoo, I don't recall it's ever had an FCPA issue, but it's had plenty of data breaches. It had plenty of just bad strategy of acquiring companies that were totally not worth what Yahoo was declaring as a value. And it's just, it's messy. I would love to see audit firms be more skeptical about goodwill and you are supposed to look at it. Companies are supposed to do a test of goodwill every year. And then if there is evidence to suggest based on that test, we might have a problem, then you have to go through a more vigorous look and possibly a write down. But um, I think goodwill impairments are a big screaming red flag for problems. And therefore, you know, looking at goodwill closely is a good way to find problems that maybe haven't been declared yet or haven't been written down yet. So I really like uh, your use of the word skepticism. Uh, before the TIVA write down, the biggest one I could re have recalled was the uh, Hewlett Packard or HP goodwill impairment charge around its acquisition of autonomy of 5.5 mm -hmm. billion. And the thing that has uh, stuck with me since then is it's one of the few times that I thought you could point to one event which uh, caused the goodwill impairment. And that was the uh, undervalue or the non-performing value of autonomy after the it was acquired by HP. But yep. uh, you did bring up the term of skepticism. And um, I think you told us uh, or you've indicated that uh, new auditing standards may come out uh, within literally uh, the next week or two from the SEC. Uh, how skeptical do you think auditors should be, particularly external auditors, and will the new auditing standard impact that, or will it go a different direction? Well, how skeptical should they be? That is a very good question, because there are plenty of people who will say that clearly the audit firms, generally the big four, they haven't been skeptical enough in some issues. Uh, you could look at you know, the audit firms for Wells Fargo which you know, Wells had problems with employees billing false accounts to customers to hit performance bonuses. They had that problem for years. It was pervasive. And the audit firm never wound up flagging these sort of issues. Um, on the other hand, whenever I do write about the PCAOB, I inevitably get some feedback on LinkedIn or on my blog or whatnot from internal auditors at a company who are dealing with the external people showing up with their skepticism and they give examples that are preposterous. So one of my favorites is that uh, there was an internal auditor who said he was working through a meeting with the firm's external auditor and he presented a list. Here are all the internal controls management has. Here are all the internal controls we have checked and that we believe are effective, and they had a checklist, and they were ticking them off, that this is everything management has looked at. Well, the audit, the external auditors said that the tick marks on the that checklist were insufficiently tick-like. That, that was the phrase. 
And so therefore, the auditors were going to reinspect all of these controls anyways. And there have been other instances where external auditors have said, we want absolute assurance that these controls work, which is not the standard. The standard is you have reasonable assurance that the controls work. And the difference between reasonable and absolute is a whole lot of audit fees and a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time internal audit and compliance people might spend chasing around all the evidence the external people need. Now, is it skepticism or is it just giving you a hard time to pad the audit fees? It's hard to say in general terms, but there are many examples on both sides of where um, audit the external auditors are being too skeptical and too ridiculous and not skeptical enough. Um, you know, how are we going to sort all of that out? I'm, I'm not quite sure. But sifting through that sort of issue, that is a big part of what the PCAOB is supposed to do with its auditing standards, with its inspections, its discipline against firms and whatnot. Um, I did want to go into one thing, Tom, you had mentioned a new audit standard coming out that I did want to raise. So what the PCAOB has done recently is propose a new form of audit report that external auditors will need to draft and publicize about their clients. And this is going to include a discussion of critical audit matters that the audit firm has a lot of uncertainty, a lot of judgment it had to make, that it has been talking with the audit committee about. Those matters would need to be disclosed in the audit report. Now, this is not news. The PCAOB and the Securities and Exchange Commission and the audit world and everybody else, we've been working on this for years. It's been a long and tortuous process to get to this final standard that the PCAOB has proposed, and it would go into effect in 2020. The SEC has final veto or approval authority on all new audit standards the PCAOB proposes. Throughout its entire tenure as an agency in 15 years, the SEC has never torpedoed an audit standard that has come forward. And there's been a lot of collaboration to get to it. There are people who will say it's not enough, it's too much, we don't like it, we love it, back and forth. But we have a standard, and we are at the finish line. And all that has to happen is the SEC must do what it should has always historically done, which is to approve what the PCAOB has asked it to approve. The big question is whether this new SEC leadership under Jay Clayton, are they in fact going to do that? Or are they going to delay it? Are they going to reject it, which has never happened before? Um, I think they're, you know, that's going to be very interesting to see in the next couple of weeks. What does the SEC do with this standard that was crafted under democratic regimes? And now it is a Republican regime that's going to have to put it out into the world. And uh, we don't know. But I do think it's telling that Jay Clayton did praise the leadership of the PCAOB when he said he's going to replace everybody. But he singled out, this is all the great stuff they've done. And the audit report was one of the things that he said they've done. I don't know that he would have said that if he planned to torpedo it. And it would be a, a big, frankly, a big kick in the face to a lot of SEC staffers who have worked four years on this. So that's something that's going to be telling for compliance and audit people to look at. This new audit report standard, is it going to get endorsed or not? 
So, Matt, as I understood uh, prior audit standard number five, the SEC wanted auditors to take a look at areas which presented the highest risk, really a principles-based yep. audit standard. So they, uh, the financial statement, closed processes, controls designed to prevent fraud by management, and it really emphasized this, that an auditor is not required to scope the audit to find efficiencies that don't constitute material weaknesses. Uh, could it be a, a, a change in something that fundamental? Um, no, I, I don't think so. And because audit standard five, which was adopted in 2007, uh, that had since been modified in 2013 by an audit practice alert and, you know, various types of guidance there. Um, all of that is going to remain intact for now. Now, in the future, might a different PCAOB leadership try to revisit all of that standard again. They might. Um, that would take a long time. It would engender quite a bit of controversy, I think. And I still believe that Jay Clayton is going to need to be careful and where will he pick his battles. Uh, he does not want to get tarred as just another anti-regulatory person that Donald Trump wants. Um, and I don't necessarily think that Jay Clayton is. I think that he's a thoughtful deregulatory person. He's not a knee-jerk anti-regulatory person. Um, and he doesn't want to get pigeonholed like that. And there's a risk of that when you're working with Donald Trump. Um, but the audit report in particular, there are many people who would say the current report is not informative. It will only say, yes, we think the controls are working. No, we don't. And you know, it doesn't really say much. It doesn't say why the firms have some questions. The new format would say, here are the big things that caught our eye. And I think that's good. I think that if we wanted to massage how that gets implemented, that could be open to question. And I could see Jay Clayton addressing that. Uh, but I think that you know we don't want to conflate what audit firms are going to be doing year after year across the board in inspecting and getting into your face about internal controls and how do they work and where's the evidence. And then that different standard of what are they going to put in their report? Um, you know, there are multiple issues, but really this is the first one up under the Clayton tenure where we're going to see what does Jay Clayton really think of the PCAOB and on these audit standards and what is he going to do? We don't know. We'll find out. Well, Matt, I would draw really a contrast with Christopher Cox who was SEC chairman uh, towards the end of the Bush administration. And it seemed Cox really publicly uh, just castigated the professional cadre of the SEC. And I don't see any of that type of, of rhetoric coming out of Clayton or, or any of the, the current uh, commissioners. No, you don't. And that is a very good point. I think that people should remember that Christopher Cox was a Republican congressman and uh, congressmen are perhaps – more liable to um, stake a political view and articulate it. That's what they're supposed to do. Jay Clayton is not. And I think that Jay Clayton is very astute in how he wants to get what he wants done, how to proceed with that. And also, there was a very different context when Christopher Cox was out there um, talking about how to implement audit standards. Back then, 2005, 2006, 2007, uh, we really did have some very onerous auditing standards that possibly did go too far, um, or they gave audit firms the opportunity to really go too far and, and hassle clients as much as possible. We've been trying to retreat from that and be a bit more flexible 
be a bit more intelligent, be it based more on risk. Um, you know, I know there have been stories of companies needed to document not only who had keys to the office, but how do you know that they haven't been lending the keys out to somebody else? That's going to be ridiculous for a company like, I don't know, Xerox or Facebook or somebody like that. You know, those people with the office keys are never going to have a material effect on a gigantic company's financial performance. Why do we need to document it? You know, that sign of absurd level of documentation. That's what we needed to move away from. But that's where we were at when Christopher Cox was still running the show more than 10 years ago. Well, Matt, this, is, uh, this has been just a fascinating podcast that we've done. I really am going to be intrigued as you've wetted our whistle about the uh, new auditing standard. And I think that the machinations of Clayton really in, in, uh, with regard to the PCAOB lend themselves to a uh, going into the weeds exploration. So perhaps uh, we can revisit this issue again. I suspect we will have many opportunities to get into the weeds with these issues. Um, there are a lot of auditing standards coming forward. The new audit report is only the first. And now that we have this new chairman, he's going to start showing his cards and what he wants to do here, which he has not yet done. And so, yeah, there's going to be more to talk about in coming months. Well, Matt, until then, this is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you'll listen to this podcast on iTunes, please rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only compliance-related podcast that takes a deep dive every week into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact myself, Tom Fox at tfox at tfoxlaw.com, or you can contact Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to Compliance Into the Weeds, which is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.